Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. We need to see the machinery of tax governance um, strengthened, but we also need courage and strong culture within those organisations so that when something goes awry, as clearly has happened here, they act with real confidence and using all the instruments available to them. And don't just lean on a fall guy strategy and we've dealt with it and one bad apple's left the system. Not good enough. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. Welcome to another episode of Australian Politics. I'm joined in the podcave by Labor Senator Deborah O'Neill and Green Senator Barbara Pocock, who have been investigating the PwC tax advice scandal for months now, culminating in a frenetic fortnight of Senate estimates committees. Welcome, Senators O'Neill and Pocock. Morning, Paul. Great to be here. Uh, Now, there was a parliamentary inquiry in 2018-19 about government outsourcing and use of contractors, uh, and Labor had a policy at the last election to reduce uh, the use of consultancies. So if we could just start with you, Senator O'Neill, what what sort of concerns were there about over-reliance on the big four consultancies uh, before this latest episode with PwC? Well, I think, Paul, there was the concern that you've just raised about outsourcing and you know, I, I grew up in a family where I didn't know what a public servant was. I had I had no idea what that actually meant. Um, and it's been amazing to come into government and think about what the service of your country as a public servant is, you know, how fundamental it is to democracy. And I think that what we've seen over many years, and particularly in the last 10 years under the previous government, was the sort of diminution of serving your country through doing really solid policy work on complex problems at the heart of government. And instead of doing that, there's been this, uh, well, that's hard work and we only want to do it for a short period of time, bring in some experts, supposed experts from outside and drop them in. But while that inquiry was going on, I was doing an audit inquiry through the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Corporations and Financial Services. And in that, we were discovering how absolutely resistant to splitting off their assurance part where they do the auditing checks from this consultancy model where they come in and out of government. Uh, And PwC gave evidence then that they were absolutely opposed to separation uh, of these two two parts of their business. So both of those those things were happening at the same time around 2018-19. Reports came forward. We didn't see any response from the previous government. And in January, uh, the Australian Financial Review uh, first reported that the former head of international tax for PwC, uh, Peter John Collins, had been deregistered by the Tax Practitioners Board for failing to act with integrity and for sharing confidential government briefings. Uh, Senator Pocock, you were quick out of the blocks in calling for an inquiry after that. Why was that revelation uh, so bad and why did you think that it warranted a broader look? Look, I think the community consensus about Mr Collins and his behaviour um, is very clear. Uh, he used 
uh, information that he was privy to, um, having been brought in to ask his opinion to cons- the Treasury consulting his views um, as a very canny operator in the field of tax avoidance, many clients he had advised historically. Um, and he was evidence that he'd used that information, brought it back to PwC, spread it round, as we've subsequently learned, um, and made a lot of money for his company, f- for his entity from it. So didn't pass the sniff test and immediately raised the question of who else in this very large firm, over 9,000 people working within it, was involved in it. So um, I, I think f- straight out of the blocks, as you say, a big props to the journalists who actually, you know, Neil Chenoweth, uh, working since with Edmund Tadros, have really gone hard and they've they've shown the power of an investigative journalist in this matter and now we see, of course, the Senate hard at work on this matter. But I think that points to a very long chapter, eight years from the time the balloon first went up and Treasury knew something wasn't right, the ATO knew something wasn't right, um, and, and action against one individual so far to date, um, it, we shouldn't be just relying on journalists. We should have much more transparent architecture and accountability in our system. Very grateful to those journalists, but I think Australian public are saying now, no, nah, that's not working. We need to be de- on these issues much more quickly and with much more significant penalties. I think, Paul, there's a problem there too because when you are making law, you do need to consult with the people that it's going to affect, and you do need experts, right? And um, we, we can't stop doing that important consultation work, otherwise we're going to end up with really, really bad law that doesn't actually work in the real world. So um, the problem, I think, about this issue is there's two bits to it. So everybody knows that Peter John Collins stole this stuff, but a lot of people are still under the illusion that he was consulting at that time. He wasn't consulting as in the consultancy business. That's a whole separate thing. He was invited in to do service for the public as an Australian citizen with incredible knowledge, right? And he signed three confidentiality agreements between 2013 and 2018, which made it very, very clear to this sophisticated, highly educated man that he was dealing with information that was confidential to the Australian government and thereby the Australian people who he was supposed to be serving. So the sense of the breach, I think, is incredible because it's a huge trust of civic responsibility and breach. But it's not just Mr Peter John Collins who was subject to the Tax Practitioner Board inquiry. And this is one thing I think that's been lost. And just towards the end of the week, we really got to the point where um, the AFP who are investigating this are investigating the matter. It's not just Peter John Collins. The matter is PwC because, as Senator Pocock said, when he took this information back and went about monetizing it, you know, there was a moment there where he could have checked himself and actually applied the ethical standards that allow him to be a licensed professional or he had the opportunity to share it with his colleagues. Now, clearly he didn't go back to a, you know, a titanium wall that said, we don't do that around here. He went back to a fertile garden that was saying, plant this information and let's turn it into a money tree. That is what was so egregious about what happened. It wasn't just Mr. Peter John Collins. It was PwC Australia, the um, pricing transfer section, and also PwC Global because around the world there was a group of people in England, the UK, Singapore, across Europe, and, and they were really thinking about how they could turn this into rivers of gold with clients that they wanted 
in what they called the North America Project. This was no small thing. And I know you want to get a word in here, Paul, but <laughs> you might struggle because <laughs> we've been on this and we're, we're cranky about it. Absolutely. But I think what, the, you know, um, Deb has talked about the need to be able to consult experts yes. to catch the canny fox. Mm. but And the treasurer, treasurer has talked about his need to do that. But I think when you read these emails, as mm. we have, they are contemptuous Absolutely. of government. They are contemptuous of the tax office, of the tax um, board itself. And their tone is, um, you know, we know what we're doing here. Uh, we've got access. We're going to sell it. This is not a group of people who want to be helpful to the public sector and the tax collection machinery. They are predatory, very open. Now, we'll, we'll never see a set of emails like that again. Um, but uh, what we need to be really clear about is advisors need to bring goodwill and you know, a genuine willingness to consult that is not just how do we make this work mm. for our company and our careers. And, and to explain to listeners where the emails came from, in March the Senate set up a Finance and Public Administration uh, Committee inquiry and, Senator O'Neill, you, you put uh, questions on notice that uh, was it to the Tax Practitioners Board that, that re resulted in the release of that? What, what did you find out in those emails? Look, I, I was just really worried about what was going on. And and again, you know, Neil Chenoweth and Edmund Tadros sort of put this story into the papers. And I thought there's something really not right about this. And that's why when I started asking questions on the 15th of February about Mr. Peter John Collins um, of the Tax Practitioner Board, who I called to come to estimates and answer these questions, um, I was shocked when I found out that there were 20 to 30 people involved. That was the first we heard, right? So before that, there's been this slow dribble out of information, as Senator Pocock has said, you know, like years and years before we got to the point where we could actually ask that question of the tax practitioner board. So it happened pretty quickly. You know, that came out January really. And then by February, I was asking the questions. And that's when I, after that, said, look, there's got to be more. And we got the emails. Now, this is another really interesting part of the story because this goes to legal protection yep. through legal privilege. So, um, a bit like, you know, Harry Potter's cloak of invisibility, PwC just sort of laid this cloak all over all of their communications with all of their clients, right? Now, there are some things, you know, you're a taxpayer, you want to have certain degrees of privacy, but they just use this as a blanket so nobody could get to anything. Bring a lawyer into every meeting. Give and yourself legal professional privilege for a year. Um, you know, nothing happened and they hid behind it. And it made the, the tax office furious, of course, as it should make all of us furious. But happily, they figured out the way that they could get some information yep. was to ask for the emails, right? And that's why we have the emails. Now, we found out this week that the tax practitioner board had some of the emails. Uh, sorry, the ATO had some of the emails uh, and they gave it to the AFP, they told us. But mm, the AFP, yeah, well, they gave what they had. We don't know exactly what they had even, right? Because it's still shrouded in a mystery, a lot of this information. But we know that the tax practitioner board had 144 pages of these shocking emails that Senator Pocock's just discussed. And that's what we got on the record and it came to public attention on the 2nd of May. 
So once we saw it on the 2nd of May, I'm sure that um, Senator Pocock and I, it was, it's not exactly calming reading. I, my eyebrows were raised at the one that said that it was supposed to be secret, but you may have the information from another source. I was oh, just like, oh, my gosh. Here's a line for you to get protection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And ha- how many other sources were there and, you know, who was talking into government and who knew what and who went to school with who? You know, These are the questions that linger for us, I reckon, at the end of the week. Now, Senator O'Neill, you talked about, um, you know, expanding concern that it was sort of 20 to 30 partners. Let, let's talk about that period from January uh, to May uh, before the most recent uh, apology and, and uh, standing down nine partners. Um, Senator Pocock, w- w- what did PwC say about their, con- their conduct and what they'd done to rectify it uh, in, the early, uh, in the earlier hearings uh, of, of that inquiry? Uh in which inquiry you t- uh, the 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 reference uh, to the finance of public administration in early in early May before we started Senate estimates, two May hearing. There wasn't a two May hearing. The two the, the second of May, and you know what? This is this is a sample of how complex this story is. There are so <laughs> many bits. The second of May was the day that we actually got the got land that. of the emails. Yeah. But prior, just prior to that, I think Senator Pocock with, uh, had inquiry. worked with um, Senator Colbeck and Senator Pratt to establish, was it through the Senate? Did you do it through the Senate or by agreement? I pushed for an inquiry into consultants in a, you know, partly because of this background and other matters too. You know, there are a bunch of issues out there, Mm. the massive growth in public sector um, contracts going to these, you know, we heard an audit which showed that $21 billion in 21-22 went into these uh, consulting labour hire and other non-public sector spending, you know, 50, equivalent of 54,000 public yeah, servants. Yeah, that was shocking. So there are a lot of issues there that and that led uh, me to push for and for the Senate to establish an inquiry, which is essentially into the integrity of consultancies. Uh, and we are going to be sitting again next week. That's going to be an ongoing uh, set of uh, inquiries, which Senator O'Neill and others will be there asking questions. I think the response from PwC, which is what you're asking about, is just shown to be completely inadequate time after time. It is disrespectful Hmm. to not have put on the public record, knowing as they did more than five years ago, that there was a problem here within their organisation. And what's more, other people knew it was a problem. And we don't know anything about the conversations that happened between these different public agencies and the senior leadership of the PwC. So when we turn to the actual response that we have received from now, the acting uh, CEO of PwC, a failure to name the names of even the nine partners that they've sent home, clearly people who are implicated. They would not have been sent home if they had not made identifiable errors. That's my. I think there's wide belief that that is what those nine were involved in. But they have also failed really to be on the front foot and, and say to the community um, what they're going to change internally. And I think they've been on a go slow as a community that has clearly lost trust um, we heard Malcolm Turnbull very pointed at saying that there was an existential crisis now in PwC uh, yesterday. So, you know, the, the stakes have only got higher for PwC and that has led people pressure for people like me who, you know, did have access to our list uh, to try and table that list, to try and get a conversation happening. But I've, I believe that the onus is on PwC. They should be telling us who did what and coming clean on that and it will come out. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm really concerned about what this means for good people at PwC because despite 
all of this disgraceful behaviour that we're, you know, very sadly having to document in public and that we absolutely will call out. And again, I want to say PwC, there were 53 people in those 144 pages. Give us the names, let the public nationally and internationally discern what they need to discern. But there are people in PwC now, like young people who might yeah, have just finished. 9,000 workers. Right, they've finished uni. They, they've set off on their dream job. They think that it's going to be fantastic. They, they've been sold something. They are caught up now, not just with what the partners did in this egregious act between 2013 through to when it was discovered, We'll find out the final date at some point of time. But they're caught up now in the current leadership cover-up, mm. right? Mm. The then CEO, a, a name, a Mr Seymour, he actually goes to a public event in March mm. and when he's asked about what's going on and he says, no, 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 look, there was only one person involved and they've left the firm. And then there are other people, right, and this is another sort of structural problem for PwC and this is why we need all the names so people can figure out who was in it really deeply and who was peripheral, right, and whether they should stay in their job. We don't know where these people went, right? We have a right to know. And all of those good people who are in there, they are being tarred with the brush of the design, really, of the current leadership. So there's no separation for me between where they were and where they are right now. Now, I should note at this point that PwC has apologised. It stood down those nine uh, unnamed partners on holiday and they've got a new governance structure, but I'm, I'm hearing from you both uh, loud and clear that that's not good enough. And the main reason is uh, that they haven't named those partners. So let's let's come back to the names. Uh, Senator Pocock, uh, you were going to try and table uh, that that list. What happened to that idea when the clerk gave you the green light? Why haven't we seen that list yet? I think it is on PwC to provide the list. And for me, it's not just the names. It's who did what because I don't want anyone thrown under the bus uh, because they received an email. Um, I want accountability and proper and natural justice to follow. I'm not confident uh, that this is going to be uh, easily executed. There's great resistance clearly within PwC um, and I think the pressure is firmly on them. Uh, to release those names and to give the context. And I'm very sympathetic to those young people who just started their careers at PwC who are second-guessing their decision. And already we hear many people, senior and junior, looking for a move out of PwC um, because they're concerned for their careers and their long-term reputations. And I am very interested in the fall guy scenario that we have seen play out here um, and a lot of interest in seeing one bad apple be named and punished. And we know there were penalties available to the Tax Practitioners Board to P on PwC, which they did not exercise. They could have gone much more assertively in their investigation and they could have taken action against PwC. So it's, I'm sure we'll go, to, we'll go to what needs to happen next, but we need to see the machinery of tax governance um, strengthened, but we also need courage and strong culture within those organisations so that when something goes awry, as clearly has happened here, they act with um, real confidence um, and using all the instruments available to them. And don't just lean on a full guy strategy and we've dealt with it and one bad apple's left the system. Yeah. Not good enough. A and leaving it in a way to try and make it the problem of the Senate and the Parliament 
to clean up their mess. Think about the cost that we've expended this week mm, yeah. in estimates and last week in estimates in terms of the time, your office, my office, all of the people who are working on this, all of the fixes for this really appalling behaviour that are now having to be stood up. Now, it's good to renew. It's good to have a constant renewal of an improvement of governance. But PwC have forced this cost on Australia. Mm. That That is part of what outrages me as this continues. The PwC are going, oh, look, m- my bad. I'm a bit sorry. Nine people going on holidays. Trust us. We got the right ones. Uh, excuse me. We're just going to exit the stage now. Can you guys clean up the mess? And could That's you outrageous. keep our contracts flowing? Oh, yeah, thanks. We'd like a bit of money on the way through just to keep us going. That's a really good point. I think estimates in the last fortnight has shown in department after department that um, PwC has a very strong set of tentacles, even in the federal police where we heard, for example, PwC hold the internal contract, internal audit contract, at the same time that they're now being asked to investigate this company. And they spoke of sterile corridors that would be uh, operating within the federal police. Um, You know, I think the the conflicts of interest and the deep um, infiltration and the extensive contracts across government departments that are held by PwC um, are a real problem uh, for confidence. Um, and so uh, this larger question in the long run about conflicts of interest needs to be dealt with. I, I just want to drop in PwC's submission to the audit inquiry about that kind of separation that they're now saying that they're able to provide uh, inside ring fencing. the AFP. Ring, ring fencing, it's called now. It's got, it's got a new name. So let's rebrand the same old thing. But this is what they said uh, in their response to this inquiry into auditing. We don't support either mandatory firm rotation or operational separation. That's ring fencing, essentially. That's the new word, but they did not support it. They wanted to be able to have people moving backwards and forwards. And in fact, that's part of their sell, I understand, to their graduates. Come to us and you can do everything. Well, when everything means that you've got Australian government's information, but you've also got confidential information from large corporates nationally. A lifetime of revolving doors ahead of you. And Mm -hmm. if you've got a willingness to take government information, you certainly, what what would dissuade you from taking information from some of the biggest companies in the country? And like, what's, what's in it for all of us? Like, all of us rely on these assurance companies to actually tell us the truth about what's going on in the books of the companies where our superannuation is invested. Every Australian's got an interest in clean financial services being provided. We need assurance. We're all in it. So this is why it matters. It's not just some esoteric thing that happened a while ago uh, with a few baddies and we're chasing down the baddies. This is about what's fundamental to the proper functioning of the financial markets to keep things clean and tidy. And we certainly know it's anything but clean and tidy at the minute. Now, the Finance Department uh, directed PwC to stand down partners involved uh, the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Kennedy, uh, referred it to the AFP uh, to investigate unauthorised use or disclosure of confidential information. And as you've noted, um, that wasn't just restricted to, to Peter Collins. There was a reference to, you know, many individuals having received it in that reference. Mm, so, the matter, the, the matter. Um, but 
is the book being thrown at them now or is there more that can be done? Like, is it, Are they going to start losing these, uh, these contracts that you've referred to? Is that the next step? No, the Reserve Bank Governor said this week uh, he will not be doing business uh, with PwC. And um, every department that we've asked, and we've asked, I think, everyone who's appeared, will you be doing business with PwC? And they all refer to the higher test that they're now being asked to, to uh, apply, and that is, has this company, this entity we're con- considering giving a contract to, acted ethically? What's their practice? Um, and you'd have to say you'd be a very brave public servant right now to offer any kind of contract to PwC. There are also big questions about the 530 million of contracts that PwC has been awarded in the last two years within government. Their contracts, many of them in defence, 220 million of those are in defence. Um, that is a lot of money out there flowing around. So a- as Senator O'Neill said, there is now a lot of action out there and use of public resources within departments across this city looking at the confidential uh, confidentiality risks um, in existing contracts. But there is no doubt in my mind uh, that PwC should not be receiving any new contracts. And an odd part of um, uh, the Minister of Finance action on this is to say no new contracts that we shouldn't be um, doing business with unethical companies and that review to occur and that that taking people off contracts from PwC if they're on a list of names, which we're giving the governance of that to PwC, incidentally. We're leaving PwC to decide who shouldn't be on government contracts and boot them off. Um, you know, that, that's asking us to trust PwC to do that work. I'm very unhappy with that. I think the government should have the list and it should be governing that themselves. Um, but there is this larger question about, about contracts and how we can have confidence into the future. And so I think there is a strong argument for an independent review and certainly we've been pushing very hard for uh, a reference to the uh, National Anti-Corruption Commission. That's where it belongs. So there are parts of, of what Senator Pocock's just said that I agree with and other parts that I think because we're, we're the government, um, we don't get to have the... Uh, the visceral emotional response to it that is our instinct, right? There's got to be a degree of care and caution. So I just want to really um, shout out to um, Senator Gallagher for the thing that changed what's going on going forward was a very significant change announced by Minister Gallagher in the Finance Department about this consideration of ethical practice. Now, to back that up, what we found out um, was that the TPB are continuing their inquiries, they will be searching for more information, but that there is also commencing next month a six-monthly observation of PwC's conflict of interest problem, which is what the TPB booked them for. So so this... Booked booked PwC. So apart from Peter John Collins, we've actually got this whole... Con- ongoing review about conflicts of interest for at least two years, right? So while that is going on, that is one of those triggers that's picked up in the very careful movement by um, Senator Gallagher to make sure that, you know, that would be one of the considerations, you know, they're under investigation by the TPB. So that's got to be given any consideration by anybody who was thinking about having a contract with PwC. And I think the other thing is about uh, the contracts that already exist, we need contracts and trusting contracts in our community. You know, if if you're transacting people's, the biggest contract you'll ever probably enter financially is into purchasing a house. You need to know that contract law has some power. So the contracts that everybody's in already, 
clearly, as Senator Pocock says, are seriously under review. There's a whole lens of confidentiality over it. Uh, that's a really a good development, I think, that's going to come out of our work in the Senate. But we cannot just tear them up. Otherwise, it's a bit like, you know, um, a two-year-old, the anger that they feel, they haven't got the words to express it. And, you know, you see two-year-olds sometimes throwing themselves down in a tantrum because they're so frustrated. And that is exactly how I feel. Um, but as a government, you don't get to have that kind of visceral emotional response. It's got to be orderly, it's got to be carefully considered, and it's got to be legal, right? We make the laws, we can't break the laws. So I think the consideration of contracts in place has to be done really carefully. And um, we definitely got on the record uh, from the Minister for Finance last week, if there's more that needs to be done, will more be done? And she absolutely said that. And every person who has commented from the government since that period of time has indicated that that's the case. And, you know, I'm 100% on the, you know, if PwC are paying for an internal inquiry, uh, there's no way that that now holds any import, in my view, in the shape and design of this. Doesn't it's valuable the, for PwC. You know, they should be doing that, of course. They should have done that five years ago. The, exactly. But it does not pass any kind of pub test. We, mm. need, we need the fundamental thing, and this is why I continue to call for it, and I know that Senator Pocock's hesitation in naming the list that has been floating around these corridors is a resistance despite our absolute frustration at not providing natural justice to people who may have been peripheral, but because it takes the responsibility away from PwC. Yeah, exactly. And they are the only ones who have all of the information. The question is, does it matter enough to them? Does their reputation matter enough to them? Does their business matter enough to them? Does their ethical stance have any rigidity at all? Is there anything ethical there? Because if they want to be taken seriously as a player in assurance, at some point of time, they just have to tell the truth. Mm. And that is those names, mm. for starters. Now, the big revelation this week was uh, the Australian Taxation Office said that they alerted the AFP back in 2018. Uh, then there was a decision in 2019 that there was insufficient evidence for a full uh, referral for a criminal investigation at that point. When they had no joy there, that's when the ATO went to the Tax Practitioner Board and, and set in train that professional standards investigation instead. Now, my question... Um, do the secrecy provisions uh, go too far that stopped the ATO from alerting Treasury and others? Do the ATO have the right investigation powers? And is that something that we can fix now without waiting for the police investigation? Uh, I think you're pointing, Paul, to a really um, important set of events that we need to understand and uh, we need to think about renovation of all of this architecture. I think that for me there are two issues. One is the uh, strength, um, the capability of and the misuse possibly of secrecy provisions. Um, you know, th there's, the, there's the actual law and the way it operates and, and the secrecy um, uh, guards that are there and then there is the way they were applied and the culture around them and I think we've got too much uh, secrecy provision that, that protects the fox, uh, protects the canny, um, tax avoider, for example, um, and doesn't protect the taxpayer and the public public interest. But I think we're also seeing a very strange set of very slow moving events. And 
I I think we also need to beef up the culture within these organisations, multiple parts of the tax architecture, so that people act with courage, foresight and cooperatively. I mean, we are seeing Chinese walls between these departments and, and various parts of that architecture. And I think a very implausible proposition that no one in the government knew anything at any stage for years. Yeah. These are people who know each it's, other. It's impossible. The, the, the currency of consulting is relationships. They have relationships with ministers, with prime ministers. I think we need to sort out those um, secrecy provisions and make sure that they're operating effectively and protect the public interest. But we also need to make sure the culture of people, the officers running those, don't hide behind them don't find them convenient and that they have the conversations they need to have across agencies and with their ministers to fix failures. Can I, I thought, get a brief uh, concluding yeah. thought on, on what should happen now uh, for, from you, Senator Pocock? We need to strengthen the architecture of managing our tax system. Uh, the ATO have made a clear request for uh, criminal prosecution powers. I don't think we need to wait 10 years for that. Um, I have many pieces of correspondence from tax advisors out there who as soon as they pay their tax late or miss a piece of administrative uh, paperwork, they lose their practice licence. The the penalties here are so unequal between the average punter, the average taxpayer, up to 10 years jail, thousands of dollars of fine, fairly quickly applied. And here we look at a decades-long process. So enough with the time. We need to move quickly to serve the Australian public, to capture tax and to have architecture that manages these very serious misdemeanours. But we need more than that. We certainly need to rebuild our public sector. And that is not going to happen tomorrow, but it needs to happen quickly. And we also need to look at the very important question of the relationship between political donations and and political influence. I have been really shocked as a senator to have people feel, who are public relations experts, feel that they can knock on my door at any time, walk into my office, have a free pass around this parliament and tell me, as they said, to set me straight about what the media had got wrong uh, in relation to this matter. Now, that's just very simple access. That's face-to-face time available to them at any time with any senator or MP in the parliament. But the broader question is political donations and capture of, of um, and close relationship with decision makers. So I want to see the link broken between uh, political donations, in which take many different forms. We're not talking about just brown paper bags or straightforward corruption. It's much more subtle than that. So the breaking the link between those that those relationships and donations and influence, and I think that's a big challenge for us. I don't think it's working properly at the moment and it's corrupting the best parts of the Australian public sector and government. And I think all parties that are in here and individuals who are serving in this, in this parliament with us, Senator Pocock, every single one of us who is here, whatever party, has had donations made by people who within the law want to contribute to the democratic process and that's one way that they think they can contribute. You know, there's been massive donations to the Greens Party, to the Labor Party, to the Liberal Party, to uh, individuals like Mr oh, Clive Palmer's party. Well, <laughs> well, well, I, I the don't... donations are a part of the architecture of Australia currently and they're managed and they're declared. There are many questions that, about whether this that's this is a point good. of difference. Well, well, do, I, I, I but, but do you take do you take donations as a Greens Party? Yes, it's, I think we're in it's a different the reality. You know, like we diff- all we all operate in that architecture. That is the law in Australia at the moment. Should it be up for question? 
Well, you'd have to say yes, seriously, right? And it has been up for question a number of times. There has not been a change to a full public um, funded model. And and I think that that's what the Senate is arguing for. But at the moment, every single party, every single individual here is a beneficiary of donations, political donations that are within the law. Some well, much I'm, more than others. I'm, I'm an electoral <laughs> law junkie as well, but I don't think we're going to get agreement on, on donations, so we might have we to would, agree yeah. to disagree on that. Yeah. But, but it um, is the, the law, Paul. I mean, that everybody's doing it within the law, right? So I'm Outrage can exist. Outrage exists, right? That's for sure. But every party is here operating donations within the law as it currently stands. If we want to have a debate about change for that, then I think you know, the appetite might well be there. Well, the we're, big, we're, the, we're, we're just to, I think that's all we're going to have uh, time for. There's still <laughs> We want to go on and on there's, and on. There's, <laughs> that's there's what still, estimates are for, Senator Pocock. There's still a lot to come on PwC. We've got the outcome of the AFP investigation, whether the Tax Practitioner Board uh, opens investigations into other partners and ex-partners. But it was so great to be joined by two experts that have been so doggedly uh, pursuing it in Senate estimates and other inquiries. So thank you both for your thank time. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Thanks for covering Paul. it. Thanks, Senator O'Neill. Fourth State comes in charging very well. Thank you very much. This episode was produced by Joe Coning. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. We'll be back next week for another episode of Australian Politics. Thanks for joining us.